This episode is brought to you by Mountain Sea Media. I spent half my life near the Pacific Ocean and the other half in the mountains of Central Oregon. These places are full of profound stories and experiences that guide my life, even now as a media creator and a beer professional. This is how Mountain Sea Media was born. I realized how impactful stories are to our lives and business. Stories share good experiences and the warmth of friends. They improve business by sharing these experiences and connecting deeply with our customers. If you'd like to connect better with your customers through copywriting and storytelling, contact me at jeremy at mountainseamedia.com. It's your story. I'll help you tell it. Welcome to Episode 6 of Good Beer Matters. Yeah, and the day that I stop trying to gain more knowledge and try to better myself is probably the day I'll stop enjoying beer. This is an ever-learning process. I don't care how high in rank you get as a judge. Whether you're, you're a brewer, whether you're in marketing, whether you're in the um, service end of things, knowledge of beer styles is absolutely critical. This episode comes with a warning. It is the same warning this episode's guest shared on the first day of Beer Judge class. It is simply this, you are about to learn how to decipher the experience and nuances of flavor your glass has to offer. Once aware, you'll never taste beer the same way again. It is entirely possible that you will no longer be able to merely drink a beer. However, there is a silver lining. Once armed with this greater level of awareness, your experience with beer will be like hearing surround sound for the first time. Good beer will become so much better while bad beer will become unpalatable. This is one of many ways that good beer can open up our world. My name is Jeremy. I am a certified Cicerone, BJCP judge, IBD certified brewer, and a beer writer. I believe the art, the science, and the culture of beer has more of a profound effect on us than we realize. I believe there's a world of wisdom found in every glass, and I intend to get to the bottom of it. This is Good Beer Matters. These are the stories of us, of great food and the beer that brings it all together. I suggest you fill your glass with a good beer and get ready for episode 6 of Good Beer Matters with Master Brewer and Master Judge Randy Scorby. Let's see, I've been homebrewing now since probably late 2006, so roughly about 12 years now. Um, shortly after I started homebrewing, in fact, maybe I should back up a little bit. Uh, Randy began homebrewing like many of us. He had a friend who taught him. However, this friend had been brewing for decades, and Randy was a quick learner. Randy started out brewing the hard way with all grain, which is harder and requires more knowledge and expertise. I'm almost a little embarrassed to say I've never brewed a uh, extract beer at all. It's always been all grain. So I've been doing, I just kind of hit the ground running, been doing that ever since. Um, enter a lot of competitions, really enjoy it. It's, it's, it's a lot of fun. Uh, in 2011, I was the National Home Brewer of the Year down in San Diego. And and so just to flesh this out, and for anyone who doesn't know what this is, this means that out of all the amateur home brewers around the country, you were crowned number one. Yes. And in also 2007, I became a certified beer judge and kept taking the exam and working my way up. And today I'm sitting at Grandmaster 3, and I'm also a certified meat judge. Think of a Grandmaster 3 beer judge like a third-degree black belt. A black belt signifies total mastery in all the basics, and subsequent levels imply one has gone even deeper into his or her understanding and ability. You've gone through this process to learn kind of like the the mastery of the basics, and then you've gone on to continue your love and passion for great beer. Yeah, and the day that I stop trying to gain more knowledge and try to better myself is probably the day I'll stop enjoying beer because uh, this is an ever-learning process. I don't care how high in rank you get as a judge. You're always learning about something new because there's always a new beer style coming up. There's changes. Um, yeah, it's just a never-ending process. Well, and that's the reason why I put this podcast together is not only share the the knowledge, but to share the experiences. And 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 I totally agree with you. And 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 being a beer disciple of yours, 
there are those people who would think that beer is just a beer is just a beer, and it is decidedly not. And and this is where we'll get into the styles and the stories. But suffice to say that that beer can open up a world of of knowledge and experience and travel and and flavor profiles. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. In fact, that's that's kind of one of the reasons I travel anymore. I, I shouldn't say it's the only reason I travel, but when I do, I'm always seeking out the small craft breweries no matter where we go. We just took a trip uh, last year. We spent a month in England, a week in Belgium, a week in France. And, you know, although we jo- enjoyed the sights too, I was always trying to seek out the small towns and the small craft breweries who had what, what were they brewing. And it's just, it's a lot of fun to make those discoveries when you travel because a lot of these areas craft breweries are rather new. I mean, it's it's not like the U.S. where they've been around for a long time. A lot of these countries, you've got your major breweries that have always been there. And now all of a sudden, these smaller breweries are starting to pop up. They're doing different things. They're not necessarily doing the traditional styles. They might be brewing some American styles. Mm -hmm. And it's just so much fun to go around and uh, see what they're doing and sample what they've got. Well, and and the thing that really interested me was was and and this is true in a lot of different places but um when you have a culture so rich in wine and food such as Spain or Italy their approach to to brewing isn't like our approach to brewing we're we're not looking for you know friday night with a football game and a big greasy bacon burger and some something really hoppy they they approached it with their uh, really uh sophisticated um, sense of flavor and their balance and their and the holistic approach to it, where the beer by itself wasn't bad, but the beer in conjunction with their food just completely synergized and became something else entirely. Oh, absolutely. And I, I found that in a couple countries that I've been to where you start pairing up some of their wonderful local cuisine with some of their great craft beer. You're absolutely right. You put those two together, you got a winner. <laughs> yeah. It, well, and and that kind of brings up another thought, uh, too. Um, there's a, a brewery up in Eugene uh, called Falling Sky Brewery, and um, I stopped in there one day uh, and got chatting with the brewer. They brew uh, one; it's a beer style. Uh, you'd probably be able to rattle off the uh, the category and style by name, but uh, it's a very difficult style of beer to find, which is a tropical stout. Which is different. Oh, yes. Which is different from an Irish stout. Which is you know different from it's it's kind of out of uh, and correct me if I'm wrong. You are the literally the master, but um, but you know stouts often have commonalities, um, but some can be full bodied like the sweet and cream stouts, and then there's the dry ones like the Irish stouts. But they all tend to have a little bit of that uh, kind of like roastiness, almost like a French roast coffee. That's just a just you know some people might call it burnt. But the tropical stout has the like coconut sugar and remnants of like tropical flavors, and it's not burnt and roasty. It's very full-bodied and just it's kind of like the dark, chewy beer you'd actually want on a on a warm tropical day. But this brewer I got spoken. I was speaking to. Um, he shared with me that the inspiration for brewing that particular beer came from a trip to Jamaica and he was enjoying the flavors of the islands and the in the mindset and the relaxed mode of of um, operation that they have there and so he came back and brewed that and that's now he's sharing that travel experience with us with through his uh his dreadnought tropical stout yeah, tropical stouts are really a lot of fun. The other the other name they've got for them is the Caribbean stout. Uh, I remember when we were we were down in the Caribbean several years ago, and you wouldn't think a bigger, darker, sweeter beer would be all that refreshing down there on those warmer days. It's amazing how much it works down there. During this class where you uh, taught um, me and the and the other people in the class about um, beer styles and tasting beer. I, it wasn't lost on me that there are certain styles out there that are just really, really hard to find, at least on the West Coast. Uh, for example, uh, some uh, dark uh, Czech beers, uh, uh, Czechoslovakia beers. Um, so instead of traveling to some far off place to go find some, you actually had some of your own that you had homebrewed to use as an example of what the style could be. In fact, I think that happened uh, uh, more than once. 
Yeah, there were a few times that happened, actually. And, and one of the reasons, this, we'll back up to the Czech beers a little bit. One of the reasons I uh, got inspired to brew those Czech lagers was a trip I took about uh, three years ago now, I think. Uh, went to Prague and spent three, four days in Prague and did nothing but sample their lights, their premiums, amber and dark lager there. And all of them were absolutely beautiful. And that really was the inspiration for me to brew those styles. And, and I really appreciate that, uh, that you traveled and, and got a sense of the culture through its beer, uh, you know, specifically, and got a taste of the, of the Czech terroir and, and then brought that home and basically shared that with us. And that's not completely different than going off on some vacation and taking all these pictures and coming back and forcing your relatives to sit through this uh, very slow slideshow that you had prepared. But in, in your case, you actually came home and brewed all these things that you experienced and shared them with us. Yeah, in fact, I, w- I would much rather have my relatives sit through and suffer through beer than a slideshow any day. So I, I think everyone would prefer beer over a slideshow, <laughs> but a beer and a slideshow would just be astounding. Everyone knows how to drink a beer, but I'm not entirely sure that everyone knows how to taste a beer, at least how to taste a beer like a judge tastes a beer. Uh, Would you mind walking us through a tasting and and telling us what it is that you as a a level three grandmaster are thinking about and looking for as you go through this tasting process? Do you mind if I uh, open up a beer and pour it in real quick? Oh, absolutely. you got to have a beer to talk about. Beer. Well, do you do you have a beer in your hand? I do. I've got a barrel-aged Belgian dark strong ale. Ooh, okay. I have with me, I'm trying to decide which direction to go, and it kind of depends on which one you're going, but you have a Belgian. Um, you know, I have a uh, Pilsner Urkel or a Spaten Optimator from Munich. I think I'm going to go with the Doppelbach just to uh, keep up with your dark strong, so... That Sounds way, like a perfect choice. That that way we can uh, share notes. So here it goes. That's opened up. And uh, here comes the pouring. Oh, this is one of my favorites. Yeah, it's really tough to beat a Doppelbach. Oh, especially this particular Doppelbach. But I'm, uh, yeah, I'm a, I'm a Spotton fan. Okay, by all means. Now now the class is ready, sir. Please continue. And you probably already know this, but you started your enjoyment of that beer the second you picked up that bottle. Because the enjoyment starts when you decide what beer you're going to have, what style are you in the mood for on that particular night or particular location, where pretty much anything can help decide what style you're looking for. And as soon as you pop that cap and you hear that fizzing sound, that gets your ears kind of going. You know that beer is coming. You pour it into the glass. You're watching it go in. What I'm looking for is how stylistically correct is it on appearance? Is the color correct? Is the clarity good? Do you have a good, strong head that's going to persist? Which, with most styles, that would be the case. So the first thing I usually do is I start off actually looking at the beer, trying to appreciate what's in front of me. The next thing I'm going to do is I'm going to sniff the beer because you've got some volatiles there coming off the aroma that can go away very, very quickly. So I'm trying to capture some of those. And most of what you're trying to capture is, generally speaking, going to be appropriate. Uh, but on the other hand, sometimes you're looking at some technical issues that may not be appropriate in a beer you want to look for, too. So I'm, I'm, I'm can you give an for example? as I'm smelling that beer. Can you give an example uh, for your Belgian dark strong? What 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 are you talking about when you when you're tasting your beer? Okay, for example, the Belgian dark strong I've got in front of me, being out barrel aged, I'm looking for a multitude of things, um, and we'll we'll start with the aroma on this one. So what I'm looking for is I'm looking for a rich malt character, which should be balanced by a fairly significant ester character, some fruit character which should also have some balancing alcohol character in it. So you're going to have a very complex aroma on this. You've got several contributing factors. 
You've also got the Belgian yeast that's going to jump in with even some spiciness in the aroma. Okay, and those are the then, the phenols that come through with that uh, spiciness and. Right. right. Yeah. Are you picking up any maybe a little bit of black pepper, something like that? And being a barrel aged beer, what I'm also going to be looking for is do I have any wood character coming through, uh, which can come through as the aroma of maybe a little bit of oakiness. Uh, vanilla phenols will oftentimes point to barrel age. You know, vanilla is one of those things you can pick up with barrel aging, or you can just simply pick up with yeast character also. So those are all the things that I'm looking for in this beer. One of the analogies that I always think about, because uh, I think about those people who might uh, look at those of us who stick our nose in our glass and hold it up to the light and swirl it around before we even take a taste, I know we have to look ridiculous to a certain percentage of the uh, population out there. So let, oh. so let me just dispel this myth real quick. And the analogy that I think about is, okay, imagine you're going on a, a, a hot date with, uh, with uh, someone that you care very much about. Um, and, uh, you know, you could think about, okay, we're just going to go for a walk around the block or we're going to go see a movie or we're going to go to an amazing restaurant because it's prom. Let's just say it's prom. And, uh, and so, uh, getting ready for prom, uh, you grab your, uh, cargo shorts with the uh, hole in the butt. And then you grab your, um, old tank top that you haven't washed in two weeks and you put that on for the prom, right? Absolutely not. No one's going to wear that to the prom. <laughs> um, and, and, and That's what you call a technical fault. This this would be pouring in the and this would be um, this would be pouring your barrel aged Belgian strong into a solo cup. That's it is not appropriate. You're you're going to the prom. You don't put on the cargo shorts and the old tank top. Instead, exactly. Instead, if you've got this fantastic date, you take a shower you get your hair cut you do your hair you put on that beautiful dress you put on that nice outfit you put on that extra little foo-foo so you smell good and to me that's the same thing as beer you get dressed up you you um you make yourself just look incredible and therefore you feel incredible and you smell incredible so that when your date arrives or you go to pick up your date then you're ready to go have this incredible experience because you have put in that extra effort that is appropriate for something like this. Is that fair? Exactly. No, I agree completely. Okay. So where we we were looking at the beer and we were smelling the beer. What's next? Well, let's go back to the aroma real quick. Is We've talked about everything that's right with the beer. You also want to see if you can find if there's anything wrong with the beer that's going to detract from your enjoyment. And those are called technical faults. Okay. So what you're looking for is maybe things like uh, diacetyl in a beer where it's not appropriate. Okay. Um, what we call bad phenols, medicinal, band-aid, plastic, things like that. So you're also, and oxidation would be another one that usually pops up in beer. So those are also the types of things that you're looking for when you're going through the aroma. And you hope you don't find any of those because they can detract from the enjoyment. Now, uh, if I can jump in there, I'd, I'd love to get your take on this too now granted you have those uh, chlorophenols that come across as as band-aid as plasticky as medicinal and those those are never good however you did mention a couple things that could be good could be bad depending and that was diacetyl and that was mm -hmm. oxidation can you talk about the the pros and cons of both of those yeah we'll start with diacetyl diacetyl is actually appropriate in some ales and actually is appropriate in a few lagers. Uh, one of the things I noticed when I went to Prague was Czech beers have an incredible amount of diacetyl in them. Interesting. Uh, I, I was a little surprised. A friend of mine, another uh, master judge from Colorado, had gone the year before. He warned me uh, about the levels of diacetyl in Czech lagers and said they're a little higher than what you would normally expect. And I noticed the same thing, is the Czech lagers have quite a bit of diacetyl in them. But the funny part about it was, in Prague, with those beers, it worked. The you know, diacetyl really wasn't a major detractor in those beers. And that's one of the things that I have learned is that is that, uh, is that I, I pick up diacetyl fairly well, because uh, everyone's palate is different, and we all pick up different things differently. But uh, I, I have a, a ability to detect diacetyl fairly well. Um, but one thing I've noticed 
because I detect it all the time in in different beers, but in something like a like a British bitter or even even this uh, this uh, Spaten Optimator, this Doppelbach, I, I get just a little bit of it. But I love that technical fault in some of these darker, maltier beers because it's kind of like having you get this you know like in this beer that I'm drinking now or even a a, a, a British bitter, you get these flavors of like sweet toasted bready crust and and just a little bit of like dark dried fruits and like sweet raisins and dates and figs and then you get something that's just a little bit of like butterscotch just there in the background that's just like oh wow that is this is like dessert yeah to me diacetyl is not a deal killer unless it's so strong it dominates the entire beer but just a touch in the background yeah sometimes it can be a little bit complimentary to some styles yeah, I agree. Now, what about uh, what about oxidation? What does oxidation taste like in beers? Okay, there's what you call good oxidation and bad oxidation. Bad oxidation will go the way of paper and cardboard most generally. It's like licking Another drywall. The way you can pick up oxidation in a beer is through harsh hop bitterness. Hmm. Before that paper and cardboard character start to pick up, sometimes you'll get this lingering hop bitterness that will just grow and sit on the back of your tongue, and that's an indication you're getting some uh, oxygenation to that beer. I'm sorry, oxidized character to the beer. Is that just the uh, oxidation just potentiates the uh, bitterness of the hops? It does, yeah. Basically what you call it is uh, um, oxidized bitterness is what it is. It's it's starting to get oxidized in that hot bitterness, and it just turns harsh on you. Okay. Now talk about where oxidation can actually be good. Well, oxidation can be good. In fact, um, if your Doppelbach is old enough, it might be showing a little bit of it. It is a fine sherry character. It is. I'm definitely getting that. Yeah, and it's, it can be really beautiful in your, your big, complex, higher alcohol beers, is that fine sherry character, as long as it doesn't become too dominant. Getting back to uh, walking through the tasting, we've, we've looked at the beer and evaluated what it looks like, whether it's appropriate or not. We've uh, uh, smelled the beer and sniffed the beer, stuck, swirled it and stuck our nose in it to decide if, if, uh, if the aroma is appropriate, if there's anything off, uh, if there's anything that's a technical fault but actually kind of works like diacetyl and, and oxidation. Uh, where do we go from here? Now it's time to taste the beer. Excellent. And what you're looking for, and your, your taste is going to vary depending upon the style. What we'll do is, in fact, we'll pick a Doppelbach for one, and then we'll pick an IPA, and we'll start with the IPA. When you're drinking a really hop-forward beer, what you're doing first is you're trying to identify the hop character, because those types of beers should be a hop showcase. The hop should be leaping out of the glass, both in flavor and aroma. So yeah. that's what you're going to try to detect first. So in the flavor, what you want to do is try to figure out what you're tasting hop-wise. Is it a citrus-type hop? Is it resiny? Is it piney? Is it tropical, herbal, earthy? And try to pick out exactly what you're tasting with the hops. For example, let's take citrus, for example. And you can use the general term citrus if you want to, but what you're looking for is what type of citrus is it? Is it grapefruit? Is it orange? Is it lemon? So if you decide it's grapefruit, then you want to figure out, is it the fruit? Is it the rind? Is it the pith? Mm -hmm. Is it old and muddled? Is it fresh and bright? So you want to go through all those things with the hops and try to determine exactly what you're tasting. And this is where uh, I I, I say this is one of my favorite games, and and I've taught this to my children, obviously not with beer, but with other, let's say it's ice cream or a grilled cheese sandwich or something like that. But this is a great thing that anyone can do at any moment of any day is to, what I call it, is play that name, that flavor game. And you just described it where, um, uh, first of all, you start with, um, okay, this beer tastes sweet. Um, uh, okay, so then name three different flavors that that conjure images in your mind. Whether you're not, you don't have to be certain that you taste it, but what what do you think you taste? Um and and like you said, okay, I I taste 
citrus? Well, is it lemon? Is it grapefruit? Is it uh, lime? Is it kaffir lime? And then again, is it the fruit? Is it the the zest? Um, and this is where I really love that idea because no matter what we're doing, you can uh, it, it could even be listening to a song or breaking out the the sounds. But right now we're talking about flavors. But just pulling out those different things and becoming more mindful, becoming more aware. And and I'm a firm believer that the more mindful and more aware that we are of what we're tasting, then the more that we can actually appreciate. And that's exactly right. You really have to think about it. In fact, well, one of the things I tell people in the class that I teach is when you when you go into a, a pub's next time, sit at the bar and watch what people do when they first get a beer. And what do they do? First thing to do is they grab the glass and start slamming it down. Mm-hmm. And if you want to have fun sometime, lean over and ask them, hey, what did you order? What does it taste like? You're probably going to get a deer in the headlights look from most people because yeah. they're not really tasting it. They're just drinking it. I've actually done that. And it was, uh, tastes like an IPA. Well, there's no such thing as an IPA. <laughs> nope. <laughs> it isn't. Okay, so we're tasting it. We're playing that name, that flavor game. We're trying to decipher um, what flavors we're tasting and, and uh, what part of the zest. You, you mentioned... Um, uh, hoppiness and you know uh, the tropical juicy IPAs are all the rage these days. But you mentioned spicy. You mentioned earthy. Uh, can you tell me a little bit more about those and what those might indicate? Oh, those types of hops. Correct. Yeah, generally speaking. In fact, we'll go back to Czech Republic again. Uh, Czech beer is used primarily what they call a Zaz style hop or a Zaz variety. I mean, and those will most of the time come across as a spicy character. Sometimes they'll come across a little bit floral. Mm-hmm. So those those hop varieties you'll find in a lot of Czech lager styles. When you start looking at more of the herbal, earthy styles, you're starting to drift more into your continental beers. More right, probably let's we'll take England for example. Um, a lot of those hops are going to come through as maybe a little bit on the floral side, a little bit earthy, a little bit herbal, a little bit softer. I guess is the best way to put it. Yes. Now when you get over here to the United States, that's when we start putting in what we call the big hops what we call our IPA style hops, those big resiny, piney, citrusy hops. Big and loud and and fully American. Oh, very much so. (laughs) You're starting to see those pop up in other countries, but for the most part, those are American hops. Then you get down towards south of the equator, down in New Zealand, Australia, you're starting to look more of those uh, tropical fruit hops Mm -hmm. down there. You'll get just a beautiful tropical character. And and which is interesting uh, uh, because that's where we associate all these tropical flavored hops that are all the rage now and granted we're we're growing those hops in a lot of different places but but this is um kind of attributed as the originator of that uh hop is down like the new zealand australian area but even um but even like excuse me like a new uh, wine from new zealand like a sauvignon blanc from marlboro for example they have those same tropical flavors, and so it's a kind of an interesting little connection. Um, is that is that a, a bit of terroir that we're experiencing from those wines, and also from these hops, and that have just kind of taken over the hoppy IPA world? You know, it may very well be. We were in New Zealand about five, six years ago, and I noticed the same thing: is everything had this little bit of a tropical character to it. Okay, so we're tasting the beer. We're looking at the hops. Um, if 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 you don't mind, can I steer you toward uh, the malt? I mean, if if we're talking about an IPA, we need to dig through those hops and see what's on the backside of the malty side. Absolutely. Once you identify the hop character, then you want to start peeling back the layers of the onion, as we call it. You want to push those hops aside in your mind and start looking underneath to see what's down there. And you're looking primarily for three different things. One, you're looking for malt character. Most likely, you're going to find some bready, grainy base malt in the background. Uh, you might find a touch of caramel, although too much caramel oftentimes can hide uh, hop character. So you want just a little bit of caramel character if there's any present. And then the other thing you're looking for is any fermentation-derived esters. 
which can be difficult to find underneath the hop esters, especially if they have a big citrus character to them. You might have trouble finding any kind of fermentation-derived esters underneath. Now, the other thing you're looking for is alcohol. Uh, a lot of IPAs are going to show just a tiny bit of alcohol character in the aroma and flavor. Let me, if you don't mind, let's back up a bit. And you mentioned um, yeasty esters. Um, uh, what in the vein of name that flavor game what types of things are we would you expect to taste uh in an ipa i would probably expect sometimes to get maybe a slight berry ester coming through maybe a little bit of a stone fruit ester esters for the most part are considered fruit character although uh floral rose can also fall into that ester category and so stone fruits are the are the ones with the with the seed right in the middle like a peach a plum stuff like that correct yeah peach apricot anything like that and you're, and you're going to lean especially in an ipa you better be, be picking up more towards the lighter end of that uh, stone fruit if you start pl- picking up plums and things like that that's more of a uh, malt derived ester and those really wouldn't be appropriate understood got it um Okay, so we're 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 wading through the hops. We're looking into the malts um, now. Just for kicks and giggles, um, can you? Sorry, I feel like an English teacher. Can you compare and contrast? Um, let's let's say, for example, either your beer or my Doppelbach versus a a a very light Czech lager like Pilsner Urkel. Uh, talk about the difference of of malts and hops that one would expect to experience with those two very different beers. Okay, we'll we'll talk about a Doppelbach and a uh, a Czech uh, pale lager. It, basically, there's those beers are going to be very much night and day. You've got uh, basically only Pilsner malt is being used as your base grain for the Czech pale lager. And, and so with the Pilsner malt, we're, so with the Pilsner malt, we're talking just very light, crackery, bready, correct? Right, graham cracker, maybe a little bit of crackerness, just a touch of bready, grainy character in there. It should, yeah, exactly. Okay. And then contrasting uh, with the Doppelbach, uh, what would you expect to find in that? Doppelbach is going to have a huge, uh, very complex malt character. You're probably going to pick up some breadiness. You should be getting some caramel. You're going to be getting some um, uh, malt-derived esters. This is where your dark and dried fruit esters are going to kick in. Uh, uh, most most lagers, esters aren't appropriate. A Doppelbach, definitely. But they need to be malt-derived, not fermentation-derived. And that's the one but thing. Be a, go ahead. Go ahead. Finish. I was going to say, but it, but it should be a very complex maltiness as opposed to the uh, fairly one-dimensional character of a Czech pale. Yeah, and, and, and that's why I chose to uh, do this uh, Doppelbach while while we're having this podcast. Is it, This is one of my favorite beers, and, and obviously, it, clearly, I've got a hankering for uh, complex malty beers. But this one, to me, you have just a touch of that breadiness and just a slight bit of caramel, but just the... I mean, imagine a bowl of dark dried fruits of like the dark palm fruits and like a little bit of peach, a lot of plum, a lot of fig and dates and raisins and and all these flavors are jumbling up together where it's hard to play that name, that flavor, because there's so much going on And this. And with just a touch of of that oxidation you mentioned, where there's just a touch of sherry and a touch of cardboard, wet cardboard. Um, uh, and these are just all these flavors that are swirling around in this glass right now. And that's what makes this so exciting. Yeah, and the best way to look at the Doppelbach is look at it the way you look at an IPA. With the IPA, you're really trying to peel back all those complex hop characteristics. You, you, you go to the flip side of the coin with a Doppelbach. Now you're trying to identify all those complex malt characteristics. Mm-hmm. So th- there are some similarities there, but you're just talking two different ingredients. Yeah. And and that's but and that's where the the doppelbacks are so compelling for me because you have all this malt complexity and very they're almost next to no hot bitterness, but there is a peppery, perfumey finish. When the malt is done, then that's when the hops kind of stand up and say, "Hey, I'm here too." And you get that peppery perfuminess, and then because it is a lager, it's just a very crisp, clean finish. Yeah, and, and in the case of a Doppelbach, a little bit of hop aroma, hop flavor at the end is quite appropriate for that style. Yeah, it's fantastic. Um, 
Okay, so we have waded through. Uh, we've we've looked at the beer. We've considered the uh, occasion. We've uh, smelled the beer and and um, checked for the uh, good aromas and the uh, technical faults that should not be there that are completely inappropriate. We've tasted the beer and waded through the hops and the and the um, the malts and even and even the yeast character. Um, I'm going to save water for a different conversation. Um, but water has an effect on how we experience this too. Um, but if it's all right with you, let's talk about the next phase. Okay, we've tasted the beer. What's the next part? Okay, after, after flavor, what you start looking at is the mouthfeel of the beer. And what I mean by mouthfeel is the body, the carbonation, astringency, things that actually affect your mouthfeel that aren't necessarily related to flavor. And body can seriously affect the enjoyment of the beer. In fact, let me ask you this. If that Doppelbach you're drinking had the consistency of water, would it be as enjoyable? Not, not a chance. No, not a chance. A big beer like that needs to be medium full to full bodied. It needs to fill your mouth. It has to have some viscosity to it. But if you get a beer, big beer like that that just has a watery, thin mouthfeel, that significantly affects your enjoyment level. And just for the sake of, of discussion for those those who are who need a, a firmer grasp on the concept of body, I, I think the analogy that I always think about too is take water, not even water, take distilled water where there is no solute in there, where it's just where it's just water and nothing else. That's one end of the spectrum, and then you take heavy cream and put it on the other end, and that is your continuum of body. Yeah, and I would agree. That's actually a perfect way to put it. And now you also mentioned astringency. Can you give a, an example of what astringency is and where we'd see it in other uh, tasting experiences? Yeah, astringency is usually a harsh drying on top of the tongue. And the best way to describe it is if you've ever had a strong cup of tea, um, it's almost like your mouth is wet and dry at the same time. Mm-hmm. It just sucks all the moisture out of your mouth to be a good way to describe it. Yeah, I'd, And I'd... astringency can be caused by several different sources. Most commonly, it's usually hop-derived. If you boil your, boil your hops too long, oftentimes that can create uh, harsh astringency. Okay. Or darker malts, roast malt, uh, black malts, can also create astringency, too. Yeah, and, and uh, that also, um, you can also get astringency, you know, speaking of that, um, from the husks of the grain in the form of tannins, which you also get in in uh, some red wines, such as like Cabernet and Malbecs, where you have that drying effect. And and I always think about you, you mentioned tea. That's a perfect example because if you were to steep your your black tea for five minutes, everything is fine. If you were to steep it for fifteen minutes, then holy moly, that that tea is going to just suck the moisture right out of your tongue. Yeah, the, the whole dynamic is going to change once that astringency starts to kick in. And, and you're right about the husks. If you overgrind to the point where you're actually grinding up your husks before you mash, or if you oversparge, uh, that can also create quite a bit of astringency. Yeah, and 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 I think this is just one of those other things that brewers are mindful of that a little bit of astringency is not a bad thing. And a good example is a Cabernet. Um, you know, for those people who know wine really well, a Cabernet just kind of has that um, drying finish, which by itself, it may not be your happy hour wine or a, a astringent IPA may not be your happy hour beer, but you stick that with a greasy cheeseburger or this fantastic Kobe beef uh, steak. Now that's where things kind of click, and that's where astringency can be good or bad. Yeah, it, it, you're absolutely right. It can be both good and bad, and when you start pairing things with food, sometimes all bets are off. It's yeah. the enjoyment of both together. Yeah, and that's, and that's where you, we were talking earlier about um, beer from other countries and how they how they approach it. Um, you, you know, everyone, every culture has a different approach to it, and you know the Italians are uh, notorious for their love of bitterness in their food. Anyone who's ever had a Negroni or a Campari knows that they are fond of bitterness. Um, uh, but it, that that is just one of the flavors that used as a tool combined with other tools can be a wonderful thing. That's exactly right. All right, so we have a mouth feel. We've talked about astringency. We've talked about body. Um, um, is there anything else to uh, talk about as far as uh, the mouthfeel goes and, and tasting a beer? Yeah, a couple other things with mouthfeel is one is carbonation. 
Oh, and yeah, yeah, carbonation yeah. is a huge factor in enjoyment because I would be willing to bet if that Doppelbach you have there was completely flat, it wouldn't be near as enjoyable. No, it probably tastes like a flat Coke or better, actually, but still flat. Exactly. You've got to have some carbonation. Carbonation will it'll liven the beer up. It actually will help dry it out just a little bit. You don't want too high a carbonation and start developing carbonic acid, which can get a little bit bitey towards the end. Yeah. But a good, you know, and every every beer is going to have a little bit different carbonation level to make it appropriate. But most of them are hovering usually around uh, medium carbonation or moderate carbonation. And and too much carbonation can also ruin the experience as well. Um uh, and so getting the carbonation just right, and again, to your comment, is it appropriate? Um, did, did we dress appropriately for the uh, for the date that we have uh, as far as carbonation is concerned? Um, but the nice thing, too, with this is, is the carbonation serves a, a wonderful purpose as far as, like, cleansing the palate and, and kind of refreshing that palate for the next sip. So it's kind of like, you know, it's kind of like, seeing your date as you open the door and see your date for the first time again and again and again and again where it's just like every time it's like wow this is great wow this is great and it doesn't get old um especially like taking this doppelbach for example pairing it with like a nice mild nutty slightly uh, briny cheese you know that cheese is going to kind of linger on but that carbonation will kind of help wash that away and and so every bite will just be this brand new glorious experience and, that, and that's exactly right yeah and, and carbonation to be a little bit uh uh oh, what's the word i'm looking for maybe underappreciated sometimes i think but i think it is it's it's a it's a definite factor in the enjoyment of the beer yeah I, I, yeah I, that's been my experience and the last thing you want to look for in mouth you i should say one of the last things is uh, alcohol warming Okay. And this is just an overall warming sensation in your mouth. What you want to watch out for is when the alcohol starts to get hot to the point it's burning. So let's say, for example, you take a taste of that Doppelbach and it literally burns its way down your throat. What you're experiencing there is fusel alcohol. It's like rubbing and alcohol, right? What's that? It, it's, it's the experience of rubbing alcohol, correct? Yeah. Yeah, it actually kind of is. Yeah, we, we call it hangover in a glass uh, because it's just a different type of alcohol that's been formed through uh, too high a fermentation temperature. Gotcha. And it's really rather unpleasant. Alcohol, no matter what the level in a beer, should always be smooth. Yeah, okay. Perfect. Um, now, uh, this the, actually, this reminds me of um, during this class where we and and I I remember specifically that um, I don't remember the beer, but we were talking about okay, this beer has a lot of fusel alcohols and it's coming across as just like really like like peppery and like burning. And next thing I know, we all look at you and you're sticking your eye into the glass. Can you explain what what that was about? Yeah, what what I was doing was giving it the eyeball test. A lot of times you can get a, an idea of alcohol by just uh, kind of placing your eye over the type of the glass and creating a little seal. I, I would caution everybody not to try to splash any of that alcohol or beer into your eye because that's not the idea. But it's basically the fumes coming off the beer. You know, in, in a very short time, it's going to create a little bit of a stinging sen- uh, sensation on your eye. And that's another way to determine alcohol. And... and uh and we, of course, we also discussed too that when you sniff it, you kind of get this burning sensation. But I, I, I have to tell everyone at home that you are a grandmaster level three. Do not try this at home. Exactly. There you go. Yeah, don't try this at home. <laughs> um, interesting. All right. So that that is the uh, that is the mouthfeel. That's the experience. Uh, what's what's uh, I, I believe that there's just one final step. Please correct me if I'm wrong. But uh, what's the next thing? There is one final step, and basically it's putting everything together to, try to kind of judge your, or grade your overall uh, enjoyment of the beer. Um, you know, there are certain things that can go wrong with a beer that are small detractors. There are certain things that can go wrong with a beer that are a huge detractor. In fact, one of them we talked about was carbonation. If a beer is completely flat, you know, there's one small thing within the mouthfeel that can significantly change your enjoyment of that beer oh absolutely So that's what you want to do is you want to put this whole package together now and decide how enjoyable is this beer what went wrong with it and what's right with it well and one thing i should add to this uh uh is the temperature as well 
is the uh, temperature is a huge thing, it's, and it's the huge. glass you're drinking it out of can also be a huge thing. Yeah, and uh, and and that will that will have to be another podcast episode about temperature and particularly of glassware because but there is a difference. But one one quick thing I will mention to anyone is is um, for those of you listening at home, um, you would you ever stick a glass into the freezer in order to pour some white wine into it? Or a more important, even better, would you uh, take a frosted glass to pour some red wine into it? Um, no, most never. people would say no, um, unless you're one of those people who you love ice cubes in your wine, which is totally okay. But that's a different experience as atypical, uh, unless it's sangria, of course. But uh, if we're talking like this, a great, uh, we mentioned Cabernet, a great Cabernet. No one is going to use a frosted glass with the Cabernet. Um, uh, but on the flip side, um, no one is going to pull a glass right out of the dishwasher that's still blazing hot and use that with anything. So getting the glassware right, getting the temperature right, and the temperature correct for the style, and not correct because someone like Randy Scorby says so, but because it actually enhances the flavor of the beer. Yeah, and, and I think most people who really do enjoy beer and wine will know that your flavors and your aromas really don't start to open up until they start to warm up slightly. If they're ice cold, that's going to keep those flavors and aromas subdued. Yeah, they've and, got to warm and open up a little bit. And 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 a good practical application of this is the average refrigerator is, or at least should be, at forty to forty-one degrees. It should be under forty-one degrees to be correct. Um, because that is a, a food safety threshold. So it should be in the upper 30s to uh, 40 degrees. Um, so you have your beer in there and you take it out. If it is a light lager, well, that's a, a good temperature for your beer. You don't want to stick it in the freezer so that it's 32 degrees. The ice filtered blah, 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 blah is a marketing campaign. It is not an actual technique in tasting beer. But but pulling a... a lager out of a chilled refrigerator is quite nice especially on a hot day but something like the Stoppelbach or your uh, Belgian uh, barrel aged uh, dark strong at 40 degrees those flavors are suppressed the aromas are have yet to wake up and volatilize we need uh, probably a minimum of 45 degrees, 50 degrees. Um, and this is where pouring that beer into a room temperature glass um, and holding it in your hand, it, as a, after 10 minutes, that will be a completely different beer. Oh, yeah, and it's amazing. It'll be significantly different. In fact, a good thing to do sometimes is try two bottles side by side. Pour one, let it sit for 10 minutes, hold it warm enough, pour another, the same exact beer, and then drink them side by side and you're going to be drinking two completely different beers and in fact that's a in fact i'm so glad you mentioned that because that is my one of my favorite techniques to try anything is to try it side by side two ipa side by side uh, side by side the same ipa at different temperatures and different glasses side by side that is where we talked about the name that flavor game that is where if you try anything side by side you don't have to dig that hard. Those differences will jump out and smack you in the nose. Um, but but as far as uh, it, it, just trying those differences, it, it is just amazing to me every time, as long as I'm paying attention, how the beer tastes different and changes. Um, another great example is is a dirty martini. I mean, do you drink dirty martinis, Randy? It's been a while, but I have. So a dirty martini, um, I always get gin, I can't stand vodka, but you get those dirty martinis, and if they're really well shaken, you get those ice crystals forming right on the surface. That is just a just a briny, savory, refreshing drink. As soon as you let that warm up, I swear to goodness, it starts smelling and tasting like B.O., and, and 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 that is the difference of temperature. You need to drink that thing when it's ice cold. Beers, they they have their ideal temperatures, and and um, that's something we'll we'll get into in a future podcast episode. Is is a beer temps, but just just for the listener, just to know that that is truly a thing. And if you don't believe us, try it. For those people out there who work around beer, who are interested in beer, who are seeking uh, beer knowledge, 
what is the value of beer styles? What is this, the significance? Uh, for those of us who homebrew and compete, we like to brew as much as we can stylistically correct beer because that's what the competitions are based on. However, what it also comes down to is individual taste. Um, a beer doesn't have to be stylistically correct or even fit a style or even be part of a known style for it to be really enjoyable. And that's what I'm, that's what I'm really liking about what a lot of these craft breweries are doing right now is they're really stepping outside the box and brewing some really incredible beer that has nothing to do with style. You know what I really think is interesting is there are those brewers who brew to style and then there are those brewers who go off and do their own thing so that the styles have to keep up with those. So it's kind of a very yin-yang situation going on there. Oh, very much so. They're actually feeding off of each other is what they're doing. And you were asking earlier about the importance of beer styles. I really don't think it matters what part of the industry you're in, whether you're either a brewer, whether you're in marketing, whether you're in the um, service end of things where you're actually serving the beer. Knowledge of beer styles is absolutely critical because when somebody walks in and says, you know, what should I have? Your first question is, is what do you like? And they're going to start naming off, well, I like hops, well, I like malty beer. And you better have a good understanding of what styles fit into each of those areas so you can talk to these people about what they need. Yeah, and it, and I th- I think for me the value is for that uh, you know I, you know I think I spend a lot of time working in restaurants and someone will come in and and they say well you know what's your best beer well there, I'm sorry there's no such thing as the best beer what beer are you in the mood for what you know what kind of food are you going to eat with it what what kind of experience do you want to have essentially but but if you go into a a a bad restaurant then you're going to have those servers and bartenders who are merely order takers you know whatever you tell me is what i'm going to bring you the better breweries the better pubs better restaurants etc these are ones where when you step in there your server your bartender your brewer is a guide they don't take your order they're going to take you on a journey and and if they do it properly then they're going to ask you some questions to figure out what mood you're in what are you going to eat what kind of what what's your internal environment and then okay i've got something i want you to try that i think will knock your socks off and having at least a general understanding of styles and a basic understanding of food pairings can change a experience from eh to wow and it's very very simple to do oh it's very simple to do in fact one of the questions i usually ask when i walk into a smaller brewery is what beer are you most proud of here (laughs) yeah and especially if there's anybody behind the bar that had anything to do with brewing it, you're going to get usually a pretty good answer. They're going to point over to this obscure tap over in the corner and say, let me grab you a sample of this one. Yeah. And and you, you kind of have to be careful because you, if you go into a, rec, uh, go into a restaurant and say, um, you know, what, what, what do you recommend we eat? Well, they might actually sell you the fish special because uh, they need to finish, um, they need to get rid of that. Uh, and that's not really going to serve your interest very well. The question I always ask when I'm in a new restaurant is, uh, what do you eat? What do you drink when, when you're not working uh, here at the restaurant? And they'll usually say, well, my favorite things are this. That to me is, is, is a telltale sign of, okay, I might be on a, a good experience here. Yep, it's all in how you phrase the question. Exactly. And this is where having this understanding of style allows you to communicate better. It's just different, more colors on the palette for a painter or more tones to play with for a musician. To me, that's what the beer styles are. And that's exactly what they are. And in some ways, beer is a language all of its own. You know, you get together with a bunch of beer enthusiasts. <laughs> I mean, you could sit for hours and talk about beer in, in you know, 20 different ways you can talk about beer so yeah it really is a language all its own well i i know we we may have to have a repeat of this conversation because i know there's so much we could discuss and talk about um uh, so i definitely want to plan on that but just as a, a finishing couple questions um uh randy if if uh, you had the opportunity to choose your last meal in your last beer before you departed this earth first instinct what would it be wow you you know it's kind of funny the last meal i would actually have to think about the last beer is pretty easy i would probably travel to belgium and i would be sitting at west of lettering 
um, <laughs> drinking their uh, tin. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, that was so obvious. It's beautiful. Uh, the, the West Veteran. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Is often hailed as the best beer in the world by uh, beer geeks. Is that it, it, it is. In fact, last year when we were in Belgium, um, we spent a couple nights at the St. Bernardus Bed and Breakfast. Oh, my goodness. And one of the days we took the bus out to uh, West Bletron. And, of course, you can't get into the brewery. We, we, we like to call it the uh, the uh, Willy Wonka Chocolate Factory of Breweries with no golden tickets. Yeah, I've, I've heard stories about this. Again, correct me if I'm wrong, but this is where um, – when they have an offering of beer where where people can actually show up to the brewery to buy some beer, you have to um, kind of make an appointment. You have to wait in a god-awfully long line and hope that there's enough. Uh, pretty much, yes. And sometimes you may have to travel long distances because we ran into a couple of guys at the uh, cafeteria that drew that golden ticket to get some beer. And they had come from... Uh, somewhere in Scandinavia, they had driven over just to pick up a couple cases of West Letron. Wow. And instead of uh, Oompa Loompas, they have actual monks. Is that correct? That is exactly right. Wow. It would be maybe a little more entertaining with some Oompa Loompas, but yeah, they, they definitely had the monks. I just hope they sing the song. That'd be great. That would be funny. <laughs> um, then uh, another kind of a offshoot question from that one is, what is the beer or some of the beers that you have shared most with your beer geek friends oh wow you know i would say probably with the beer geek friends um i would have to say uh anything in the wild and sour category is really probably what i share the most really uh, a lot of the uh, people i hang out with beer wise are sour lovers so we're always going through Cascade Barrel House beers. We're doing some of the Ale Apothecary beers. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I would have to say sours. Okay, then I'm saving the uh, doozy of a question for last. And given all the conversations you and I have had online and offline, um, in your experience, your travel, your tasting, and uh, in, in the conversations, the relationships you've built with uh, all of these people in your time with beer, the question I have for you, Randy, is why does good beer matter? I, you know, I think good beer matters, especially these days, because I think a lot of ways, this may sound a little corny, I really think it brings people together. Um, I can't tell you how many really good conversations I've had over a really good beer and the conversation wasn't necessarily centered around the beer. But I really do believe it just it brings people together and gets them talking. So, uh, Randy, do you have anything else you'd like to share? Or, or is there, uh, if someone wanted to reach out to you or learn more about uh, uh, the BJCP or even becoming a judge, do you have any uh, recommendations on that? Yeah, my recommendation is if you want to become a judge, I would I would look very hard at the BJCP website. They've got a lot of great reference material on there that'll point you in the right direction. One of the biggest keys is is to taste as much beer as you can, try as many beer styles as you possibly can. Even if you don't think you're going to like them, try them anyway because you never know. And especially from a beer judge's perspective, we have to judge every single style of beer. Some of them we may not like, but we still have to have a real solid knowledge of that beer style to be able to judge it competently. So, like I said, get on the site, take a look at the reference material. Uh, The BJCP style guidelines are on there. It goes through every single beer style that we've got, Uh, sometimes in nauseating detail, and I actually mean that in a good way. (laughs) But uh, sit down sometime with the beer, grab the guidelines, go through the beers you're reading the guidelines. But, you know, it's a great place to start. Fantastic. Randy, thank you so much for uh, speaking with uh, all of us and uh, sharing your vast knowledge on the subject of beer. Hey, it was my pleasure. Great. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks. You bet. All right. Bye-bye. Good beer has the ability to transport us inward to a greater realm of awareness and outward to a greater appreciation of the vast world of cultures. It also has the ability to deliver great experiences and better relationships if we're open to it. It's the difference of a studio recording of your favorite band that doesn't quite capture the magic of live performance. 
Thank you to beer master Randy Scorby for showing us the way to taking your first sip on the journey toward better beer. In the next episode, we visit a small nanobrewery on the East Coast where ancestral French tradition and American innovation collide with the North and the South to fuse cultures and, of course, good beer. Good Beer Matters is a show about great beer, great friends, and the experiences we create together. But it's also about better appreciation of the beer you enjoy. I believe better education leads to better enjoyment. So if you're a beer and food professional or even a beer enthusiast, then please subscribe to Good Beer Matters and leave a rating on iTunes. After that, grab a beer, hang out with friends, and let the world open up. Thank you for listening. Cheers. Additional music by Kevin McLeod with the song Dirt Roads. <laughs>